listener production. Okay, here we go. He is ice cool in moments like this. Oh, the big fella runs back into heavy traffic. Look at him go! Big edition of Footy Talk coming up. We're going to delve into the World Club Challenge. Gordy, how good? St. Helens got a massive upset win. And already, our Tuesday Footy Talk is under pressure, like all the coaches, <laughs> Emma. I know <laughs> you're really under. happy about that, Gordy. There's plenty to get into coming up on Footy Talk. Welcome to Footy Talk, your perfect fix of footy for a Monday morning. I'm Emma Lawrence, joined as always by the great Gordy Tallis. Gordy, footy is nearly here. Did you enjoy the weekend of trials? Are you, are you pumped for the season to finally begin? I love the weekend of trials. Um, my favourite game was the World Club Challenge, what a, what it meant to St. Helens and their 600 supporters that, that come out. I even think I saw uh, Ed Sheeran's stunt double. Uh, there in the crowd as well. We call him Jimmy Graham. Um, he was there trying to claim that he's a St. Helens local junior and all that kind of stuff. But that was a that was a great contest. And, you know, just coming back from the World Cup and, you know, how the English game needs an injection. And I think that there is certainly a really big boost for them. You know, to have the World Cup there and now be uh, the world champions. That was fantastic. And having all the big names back and the big faces and a bit of familiarity about the game was was something that I enjoyed. Well, let's start then with the World Club Challenge. It seemed like that meant more to them. Of course. Than not saying the Panthers, it didn't mean as much to the Panthers, but it was like they won a grand final. Just the scenes, the emotion, it was hard to put into words because no, everyone had written them off. Gus had written yeah. them off. They were giving it to Gus on social media. Was so, it Wormsley, like the big front rower, yeah. Big Alex, who was absolutely fantastic. What a monster he is. You know, to be a big guy in the heat, I know the the heavens opened up and it probably suited St. Helens a little bit more. And I'm not saying it doesn't mean more because talking to Brandy at Fox and Penrith have had two other shots at it. That was their third crack at being the world champions and they still haven't become the world champion. So Penrith in 91, the great side that beat the Raiders, they failed, I think, against Witness uh, in 2003. I think they failed against uh, Bradford Bulls and then now you get St. Helens come out and, you know, you talk about the English game and how good this Penrith side is and they just couldn't get the job done. There's a and lot I'll of... tell you something about Penrith. Yeah. Appy Coruscant was worth his weight in gold for him. It was just a totally different attacking performance. He is such a crafty player. He's so underrated. He's won three different grand finals at three different clubs, I think. What a player. It's amazing, you know, I think the freedom that he gave Nathan and Lua and those guys to play with. I think I think he was really missed. His service around the ruck to get those guys on the front foot. And, um, and I know it was round one. I know Penrith are going to get better. I know it's the first game uh, that they've played, but those guys... They click in the gear pretty well. Like they, it's not as if that they're all newbies. Like they've played a lot of footy together and they've been very successful. So, and to say that it meant more, um, I played in a World Club Challenge against St Helens. We went over there. We we didn't treat it like a party, but uh, Alfie and Kevy they were playing at the Warrington Wolves at the time. So we caught up. And we had a couple of drinks in London and we had a couple of drinks when we got the leads. Um, then we knuckled down for like four days to get serious about it and. I remember it was my time, it was my first ever time as the Broncos captain and I turned because we were up, I think, you know, 18 points to six with 15 minutes ago and they scored and I turned to give my first speech 
and it was two degrees in sleet and everybody <laughs> had their arms folded, shivering with their head down. So uh, I knew that we were in trouble at that moment, but then they beat us on that night as well and what it meant to the area and, you know, fast forward this year and watching their celebrations and how they run out and the emotions of the players and the fans. I, it's great for rugby league. It's fantastic. What about Penrith then? You mentioned, no, Appy. That's the price you pay for success. Back-to-back Absolutely. premierships. They had to lose Appy. Kick out as well. Yeah. Um, Edwards wasn't there. Yeah. They've just lost a couple of pieces of their puzzle that it just slots in so nicely. And when they go, it's probably automatic and Cleary can look and he can hit kick out and he might do his stuff. And Appy, you know, if there's nothing on for Nathan, Appy will take off and he'll create something around the ruck. But they will improve and that's the first time they've played this year and they all had to come back early. So Brandy was saying that they actually had to come back early because they needed to get so much training before they played. So um, they're a committed bunch and I know that they'll get better, but it was just evident watching that they weren't the same footy side. And I know it's round one. I'm not writing off Penrith in any way, but Appy Coruscant is going to be a massive loss. You're not writing them off, but do they come back to the pack a little bit? Absolutely, to lose the talent that they've lost in the last couple of years. Yeah, abs- yes, yes, but they got depth. They got this great, you know, production line that comes through. They make a lot of great juniors that come through the Penrith system and they want to play for Penrith, but now those guys are 20 or 30 games off being really professional NRL players. So they got to go back to their working board a little bit and, you know, work really hard and they've lost an assistant coach and they've lost Trent Barrett, so they're losing coaches and that's what happens when you're successful. People want to pick your brain and they can't sit down and talk because you're not going to give, give up all your secrets, so they buy your talent. Well, you mentioned that it is, it's only the trials but the media like to create headlines in the trials. So when a side gets pumped, the coach is already under pressure before we've even got to round one. <laughs> Who's under the pump? Who's under the pump? <laughs> well, allegedly Anthony Griffin. But at the end oh. of last season, he was one of the coaches under the most pressure. And Ben yeah. Hunt was quoted multiple times saying, look, if we don't get off to a good start, naturally we know <laughs> Hook will be under pressure. Do you think it's ridiculous that... We're talking about coaches under pressure in a trial game. Well, Emma, I was driving around and I read last week in the paper that Kevy Walters was close to inking a new deal at the Broncos, which is extending him another two years. And then you get Craig Fitzgibbon doing an extension of three or whatever, so he's going to be there for the next five or whatever. And I'm thinking, our games come back to normal. The media are stopped sacking coaches because it's headlines and that's how they get paid. So they want that. And I'm thinking... Our game's normal. We've taken back charge. And then, you know, after this weekend of footy and the Dragons were ordinary, but they can fix it. Like, I just said, it's a trial. And I've spoke to coaches. I covered, you know, about eight games over the last couple of weeks. And coaches, if they play good, there's different pressure. And everybody thinks that they're going to be in a top four and play finals. And if they lose, well, it's about when the season starts. It's a totally different mentality for every team. And they've got two weeks to go away, freshen up and... It'd be combinations and how many minutes did their star players play and other teams are up for it. Like I remember playing trials and some young kids, it's their opportunity to start a play alongside their heroes and to impress the coach and play for an NRL contract. For me, it was getting 20 minutes out without getting injured. I'm going to run. Listen, leave me alone. I'm just going to run. The coach is going to watch me. I'm going to play 20 minutes and when that time comes up, I'm off the field. Then you can go hard. So that's what trials were. For me, as I got older and when I was young, well, it was a two-ish challenge. There was something to play for. I don't read into it. But Anthony Griffin, of course he's going to be under the pump because it is the Dragons. It's a proud club. They've won the most premierships. they won 11 in a row and 
That's what happens. And we're in a result-driven business. But do you look at Anthony Griffin, who has been successful at other clubs, or do you look at the players? So do you think, let's fast forward, say, five or six rounds? Would you be surprised so if we're talking there, right? about the same thing? So they had Wayne Bennett. Then they had Stephen Price. Then they had Paul McGregor. Now they've got Anthony Griffin. How many more voices does that playing group need to hear? That's my opinion. Do you think there is that, an issue there? Given- well, they've shot a heap of coaches, mate. They keep on shooting the coaches. Mm. Clean your roster out. They're obviously not listening. You tell me one of those guys, seriously, that if they come on the market, a club is going to chase really hard. Other than aside from like a Ben Hunt. Ben Hunt, absolutely. Mm. He come and everybody put their hand up, not at the price that he gets down there, but everybody did put their hand up because Ben Hunt's a really good player. I think he's a uh, he's a world-class player, Ben Hunt. You only got to watch him in origin. You only got to watch him every week. I don't think he's got too much to go to. And I think the young players at the Dragons haven't come up. You know, their forward pack doesn't beat anybody up. They don't penetrate through the middle. They're, 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 and is that the coach? I'm sure that they coach, and this is a way, this is a style we're going to play. And then you've got those great players that go above and beyond, like kick out when they bust the line or whatever, or they put a special kick or someone will chase even a little bit harder or, or do something. And I don't see the Dragons doing it, but another coach is going to probably go. And then nothing changes at that organisation. It's unfortunate, so but... It- who's got to tell them to play harder? Well, if they don't listen Paul to... Paul McGregor did, yeah. right? Which is the Dragons. They had Steve Price. That was with Wayne Bennett and they won. So who's got to tell them to play better? Why do you have to be told to play better? Why do you have to be told to turn up at work and be motivated to play the greatest game of all? I don't get it. That's why I'm not a coach, Emma, because... Seriously, you got 30 guys and if you say something wrong where well, they get the shits and they go sook and all that kind of stuff, we play a man sport. You know, it's your job to go out there, put your body on the line every week and I've never heard of a player in the history of the game come off and have the game plan in their pocket and go, how good was that game plan? It's about the effort, it's about your commitment, it's about not letting your teammate down, it's about trust, it's about all those things that you pack. Everything that we love about the game is what the players pack. But then when the players don't pack it, we say the coach is no good. Yeah, well, they're the first one that you always, as soon as something happens, it's not the players. When I say oh, but, we, the media, they point the finger straight at the coach, which is unfortunate. Oh, yeah, but, but when they win, it's all the players. Yeah. But like when they win and they turn around, it's the players. But when they lose, it's the coach. There's still a chance for you to coach, I, a, coach a side. I am not going to put my family at risk of having 30-odd <laughs> footy players in charge of whether I've got a job or not. Yeah. No way in the world. Why would I put myself through that? And then you challenge them, like every other job in the world, you turn up on time and the boss can kick you up the bottom and tell you to get here or move you on and you can't go anywhere. It's tough. You've got to take your hat off to them, the coaches. Uh, Speaking of some of those young ones at the Dragons, uh, Sloan was so devastated after the charity shield. Was there more to it, Emma? Well, he had... the whispers out of Mudgee? You know what? Funnily enough, I was in Mudgee. At a wedding, right, though. You so were just at the wineries. I was at the you wineries. Were there for a romantic weekend <laughs> we, with the wine we were, and cheese and the crackers. We had a wedding on the Friday, but on the <laughs> um, on the Saturday, we're at the pub for the recovery. And I argued with some people. We had the cricket up on the big screen. I said, "Look, oh. we have to have rugby league on." They said, "It's trials, and this is an international sport." And eventually, I said, "I don't care." It's an international sport. Well, cricket, yeah. Played by eleven Australians. Yeah. Give me a break. <laughs> and I eventually got Hello my way. To all the cricket fans out there. I know. And look, we <laughs> weren't doing too crash hot either, but 
It's not for me to criticise. I wanted the rugby league on and I got it. And everyone was talking at the table then about Sloan and Latrell Mitchell consoling him. And obviously he didn't have the best game. He dropped two bombs. He kicked out on the full, let in a try. So like he's young. But but he obviously seemed to really take it all on. And it's the pressure of the Dragons. Like I didn't, you know, I played at Brisbane and we talked about the pressure. The pressure of the Dragons, when you walk into that league's club and there was like an oil painting of Reg Gasnier and Norm Proven and you walk through like the Hall of Fame and there's Billy Smith and all these guys. It's, I think it's intimidating. And then to have a young kid and, you know, the hopes are on probably him. Like then let's be honest. And he goes and he's probably put internal pressure on himself of the expectations that he believes that he's got to play it if he wants to be. And he's probably playing against his hero and big Latrell Mitchell. And he doesn't come up to standard. And he was visibly upset and maybe something's triggered and it's a little bit bigger than that. But at the end of the day, he's got two weeks to get it right. And if the harder he trains, the better he's going to be. Classy from Latrell as well knowing Absolutely. that, how much it meant. Like, Latrell can cop a bit, but he he's a good person and a classy individual, and that just really showed I've it. felt like that, but yeah. I've got into the dressing room and cried. Yeah. Like, when I've played my last game of the season and you get knocked out and the last, like, we got beaten by Penrith, I think, in 2000 and whatever it was, when they won the grand final, might have been 2003. I'm sitting in the change room and I was, and I was upset because how hard you work to get to a point and everything that you believed and what you wanted for that year didn't come. You know, I was like a little kid at Christmas time that wanted something off Santa and it doesn't come and he gets a little bit upset and, you know, you end up sucking it up and realise that I'm lucky to play a great game and a game of rugby league and it doesn't take away your disappointment and it was visible because they were on the field, you know, and I like, like, I like seeing how vulnerable our game can be at times. You know, we like watching people celebrate and cheer. Well, when someone's cheering and, you know, 17 guys are jumping and high-fiving, there's 17 guys going through emotions because, you know, they're going to get written about that week and, you know, the fans are going to boom and tell them that they're over overrated and they're on too much money and, you know, they should be sold and sacked. And I well, love seeing love the emotion. I love it. I love and it. I get that players don't want to feel vulnerable, but how many times did you go into the, was it just at the end of your career there or did you have moments throughout your career where you went in and cried and tried to not let your teammates see you? Yeah, well, you don't want to see, because we play a macho sport, you don't want to see it, but I played with emotion. So if you want to see me when I screw a try or we're going and we're in it, I never, I always say this, so in my career, right, there was moments where I regret, but I never, ever once thought of, the mum and dad sitting on the couch with their little boy and girl watching rugby league with the remote. I didn't think that. I'm out there. I'm paid to win. I've got 40,000 fans yelling and booing me or whatever they are. I've got a coach. I've got a scoreboard. I've got a journalist that's never played the game going to write about whether I'm good enough or bad enough and all those pressures. And I know that they're all internal. And then there's a pressure that you put on yourself that it's your family name and your mum and dad's in the crowd and you want them to be proud. And there's all that that you carry every time you walk out. And there's a lot of people carry that, you know, day to day, no matter what job they do, they carry their family name and, you know, ours is visible and, you know, I always say that rugby league, it's soap opera for men and we have feelings and I know as macho as we got to be in the army camps and we're tougher and we're more resilient, I think, than most people, but there's still a breaking point. We are human and his breaking point is, you know, he, 
he he might look back on this now, Sloan, and go, this is what I got to that, that next year, and he's going to keep on working on that exterior so he can hide his emotions a little bit more, but they're still going to be there. For Cameron Smith to play 400 games, this is my theory, don't think the fire's not in his belly. He just hides it. Mm. Don't think that he wanted to talk to the referee either, but some people like a Sam Burgess and a James Graham, it bubbles straight away. It's like a it's like a spider ice cream and it just overflows. It's like you're pouring your beer too quick, right? And you get some people that can just sit there, but they're thinking exactly the same, but they can they control can their emotions better and some of us can't. And I love that about our game and that's why I tune in for Rugby League because it's real. And that moment the other day as as hard as what it is and the players can tell him, it's real. Coming up next on Footy Talk, we're going to chat the Doggies. Has there been too much hype after that disappointing performance in the trial? <laughs> Speaking of expectation and the pressure and the emotions, the Bulldogs, a lot of people are saying, <laughs> oh, gee, Kickow's there, Reed Marnie's there, Cameron Seraldo's there now. This is our year. They're making the eight. But I know you said last week you'd walk down Caxton Street naked if they win the grand final. I'm a little bit happier. <laughs> but even though I'm still training. Can you think then to get lasered and waxed so you know I, I get a little bit more shape about my a <laughs> bit more definition if I do have to do it. They're a young side. It's the first time they played. They were back at Belmore. They haven't said it. Like the thing that surprised me is the Bulldogs haven't come out and said, we're going to be in the eight, we're doing this. They're a side that have bought really well. And yes, there should be some optimism because they have been really aggressive in the market. They've got some great buys. I think Kickel is in the top two back rows or three back rows in the competition. They've got Marnie who's been outstanding. So they have bought really well and they are building. But, you know, they still got to get some combinations together. They still got to get the trust and you know, go through. I don't think that they're just going to switch it on. On the positive, Josh Reynolds scoring that try uh, and the chant going over at Belmore, that was fantastic. I think if the Dogs win eight to ten games, that's a, that's a success to where they were. I'm sure they're going to win more. I'm sure mm. internally they're going to want to probably play finals, but they aren't putting it out there and saying this is, this is the club that we are. Uh, I know that they're going to be better than they were last year, and they were better at times yesterday. But the Sharks are a pretty good side. They're well drilled. Sharks are the real deal. And Nico Hines, at the moment, is the best player in the game. It's a big call. It's the right call. I said at the moment. At the moment. It was the second trial of the year. Yeah. <laughs> but, but he was outstanding. He he, he was outstanding <laughs> in the All-Stars. Yeah. Right? And he was outstanding again yesterday. He just plays at a totally different level at the moment. I'm not saying that someone won't go past him, but at the moment, he's on top of his game. How much does he still have left in him? Because he obviously had an incredible year last year. New club, first year playing halfback for the whole season, and he ends up with a Dalian medal. But how much more does he have in his game? Let's just rewind the clock two years ago. He was a bench player for the Melbourne Storm, in and out, playing for the Falcons, the Sunshine Coast Falcons, and Pappenhausen gets injured in Magic Round, then he starts coming in and he plays on the bench and he plays a little bit of fullback and he plays a little bit of 5'8 when Munster's out. Then all of a sudden, his commodity starts going up his price and he's on the market. And each week he was playing, he was just getting better. And then he signs at Cronulla and I'm thinking, oh, well, here he goes. It's his team. They've put a lot of faith in this young kid that's probably played 15 first grade games. 
and he was absolutely outstanding. And then he spoke before the game. He goes, I was a bit nervous and, and I wasn't confident last year and this year I just feel more at ease. So that means that he is on top of his game. He knows what he can do. He he goes out there and it's about the processes. So just hearing him talk, is he's more experienced. He seems to be in control of himself, which mm. means he'll control the game. Everybody talks about rugby league. It's what you do away. Like you train for, what is it, 10 hours a week? It's how consistent you are off the field. He just looks like he's more settled off the field. He's got his life in order. All those little things that you worry about, they just tend to take care of itself if you work really hard. I think he's working really hard on his game. He's confident in his own game. He knows what he can produce and he goes out there and does it. And he's done it early and, what, yesterday against the Bulldogs and they would have had a bit of hype around him as we just spoke about. And he was dominant. And the week before, just as dominant. It's crazy to think that he said he at times doubted himself last year and didn't back himself, yet ended up with the Dalian medal. That's right. It's crazy. So so it's the moment when you feel like you belong. And now, I mean, so I played a lot and and we don't talk about this. You know, you go and you're playing for Queensland or you're playing for Australia and you go in and there's still Brad Fittler and there's Andrew Johns and there's Laurie Daly and there's Bradley Clyde and Steve and you don't feel like you belong. Mm. And then all of a sudden you get to a point where you go, I belong. I belong. And I don't know what I reckon it might have been about 27 for me. I believe I belonged in the game with those players. Some people might have thought that I never belonged. That's fine. Some people thought I belonged earlier. But for me, you know, I played, that was seven years of origin before I believed that I belonged in that arena. Nico Hines, to be in his, (laughs) whatever it is, what is he, at 100 games and believing that he belongs, good on him. He's a great ambassador for the game as well. He does a lot off the field, does a lot of community work and a lot in the Indigenous space. So another big year ahead, no doubt. He for needs him. a haircut though. He'd you don't be like such him? a good looking. <laughs> no. You know what? Let's get him a shampoo sponsor. It just looks like it's a little bit dry and he's got cracked and split ends. <gasps> Are you gonna tell him that? I just did. <laughs> I think Am I am I gonna tell him that? <laughs> I just did. He's gonna get clipped he, up and <laughs> he'll get tagged on Instagram. <laughs> I'm sure he Nico, has plenty of sponsors. Nico, your hair looks a little bit dry. It looks like you need like a stay in conditioner type of thing. <laughs> Look at me. Listen to me with my hair because I made a lot of mistakes about it. And then get rid of the split ends. And it's not the band from New Zealand either. He's in demand. I'm sure lots of ladies out there are happy with the way his hair looks. Gordy. We'll oh, okay. Say. Is that the rugged look, the Heath Ledger rugged look? I, th- I think it? he. But I that might have been huge. You know how they just get there and they do the like, you know, the Bengals 1980 walk like an Egyptian sort of hair. It doesn't sort of work with men. You know, the Bon Jovi look, it went out in the 80s. Or do you Did think it? he's bringing it back? I, I think he pulls it off well, but. Okay, I'll let, we'll there say, you go. We'll have the, I'll leave it to you, Emma. No, look, we can yeah. run all of the hairstyles past you in future. Yes. But before we go, let's just quickly touch on the Dolphins. Up against the Titans, not a good result, but your man Wayne Bennett was there. He was there. <laughs> Elvis was in the building. No, it was um, it was a fair bit of hype. It was a, I don't know whether it was a sellout, but it looked great, didn't it, on television last night and all the red and white there. And that was the first time that those guys have played together. So let's be honest, that's the first time that they've actually run out. They are going to get better. The alarming part was they missed 37 tackles, and that's that's not a Wayne Bennett coach team. Mm. That's un-Wayne Bennett-like with his teams, you know, to, uh, to miss that many tackles. But it's fair to say that's the first time they've played together. He did leave. Remember, he had to leave Cairns to get the training in. Maybe the seven that he did train, he should have stayed and trained the 20-odd that were in Cairns. 
but they will get better. And you can see that their forward pack and with the experience they got there, they'll know what to do. Um, their halves were a bit clunky. It's probably the first time, like Milford, you know, like, and there's a bit being written about Milford, but he's just got to get his act together and get a bit fitter and, you know, work on his game. I think Anthony Milford, we all know he's got the ability. I just think it's how hard he works on his game. And I think the rest should slide into line. I think that they're going to be a competitive side. No one said that they're going to play finals footy. Everybody's tipped them to get the wooden spoon, but I don't think that they'll get that. There are plenty of storylines to play out. There'll be surprise packets, coaches getting sacked. There'll be lots (laughs) happening, Gordy. So two weeks away, rugby league is almost here. (sighs) Can't wait. You sound like you're so pumped for the season. No, well, I am. It's (laughs) what, Thursday night footy? I think it's Melbourne versus Para or something like that. Yeah, Para at Combank, yeah, is the first one. Yeah, I love it. And and I'll go back to the World Club Challenge, right? Penrith was – people couldn't beat them for the last couple of years. What I loved, and I've said it before, St. Helens played their style. They didn't play Melbourne Storm style. They don't come out and play. They played their style of footy and they were throwing it around and they just played an English style. And Penrith struggled with it at times. And they had a couple of tries where I thought that they could have skipped even further ahead. So I hope that all the coaches that may have watched that game or watched Penrith, that some of that, you know, at Lib Football, they call it eyes up, the buzzword, but just footy players, you go buy these kids because they're good at footy, then you pigeonhole them just to do what you want them to do. I just hope that they can play with a little bit more freedom that St. Helens did the other night. All right. Well, Gordy, you enjoy your week. And uh, might see you I up in Queensland will. potentially. We'll be up there for the Titans launch. So may see you there at some point. But if not, we'll see you and everyone next week on another Monday edition of Footy Talk.